Welcome to the Bridge of the Generation podcast. I am your host, Malak Garib, and today I have another special treat for y'all. Now, before we even get started, we got to get this engagement up. We got to get this engagement up. Please like, subscribe, and share, and comment down below. You know, again, let's get these likes up. We got to get these likes up. You know, it's very important as far as this YouTube algorithm. So I'm going to give y'all a second to go ahead and knock that out now. All right, let's get into it. Coming to the BTG podcast, I have motivational speaker, life coach, consultant, and mother of the late Lynn and Jay Bias, Dr. Lonise Bias. You know, this woman's story is nothing short of inspirational, nothing short of amazing. I really hope you guys enjoy this one. This one is very special and near and dear to my heart. So no further ado. Let's get into it. Bridging the Generation podcast. I am your host, Malak Arif, and today I have a very, very, very special guest. Um, today I have motivational speaker, uh, trainer, consultant, and mother of Lynn and Jay Bias, Dr. Lanice Bias. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and thank you for asking and for the opportunity to be on your podcast. No, no problem. The pleasure is all mine. And I would like to start off most guests that come to the platform. You know, I just like to just to get a, uh, you know, a mental uh, check of just how everybody is doing around this time. You know, with this, we're, we're in a pandemic, a lot of, you know, crazy things are going on, controversial mm-hmm. issues going on in this world. So how have you been maintaining during these uh, tumultuous times? Well, a lot of the problems and circumstances that we're dealing with today, I had to work through challenges like this 35 years ago when Len died suddenly and then 42 months later, Jay died. So we had to work through that time that was so difficult for us that by the time 35 years later, by the time we get to where we are now Mm -hmm. in our society, in the nation and in the world, it's Mm -hmm. like a cakewalk to me because I had, I, I had, we had our COVID experience 35 years ago. We know what it's like to um, wake up, everything is going fine, and you're on top of the world, and all of a sudden, everything is snatched from you. So I'm not minimizing what people are experiencing today. I'm talking about myself, and the only way I can explain who I am is by first uh, sharing 
my faith in God, because if it were not for my faith in God, I would not be here. And I know that's why I'm standing today. So when I look back for at the challenges that my family and I have had to deal with over the years, this is just a norm for us. Okay, if something new has come, we're going to get through this. I know that God did not uh, have me have me to stand on one son's grave and bury another to take me out with COVID. I, I still right. have work to do, but I'm not minimizing the situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the strength that God has given me to get here to this point today to even be on your program. No doubt. I totally understand. And I, not only do I empathize, but I sympathize with you as well. Thank um, you. So I would like to ask, I would, you know, again, I feel that your story is very intriguing. And I would like to know more about who Dr. Lenise Bias is, because we all know who Lynn, Lynn Bias is. We all know who Jay Bias is. But I want to know, how did you become the person that you are? Because your story is so, again, very interesting. So take me back to the beginning. Where are you originally from? I am a native Washingtonian, born and raised in Washington, D.C., attended elementary, middle, and high school in D.C., took a couple of ca uh, classes at um, different business schools, that type of thing. But I'm uh, born and raised here in Washington, D.C., a native Washingtonian. Okay. So growing up here in the, in, in the, the nation's capital, what were some of your interests and what was it like growing up uh, during uh, your, your early years here in Washington, D.C.? Well, as a child growing up, you know, we had a normal life. My mom and my dad, my dad worked, my mom took care of us. And we were just an average family making it at that time. But as we look at some of the tension that we're dealing with uh, today in terms of um, uh, racism, I think back at the times when I was coming up and we were not allowed certain places, even here in D.C. And I attended Anacostia High School. And a lot of people from D.C. do not understand that Anacostia was lily white at one time. And no one lived there but whites. No one lived in a green way but whites. We had borders that were set up and we stayed in the confounds of our borders. But I can remember uh, walking down Minnesota Avenue mm. on my way to school and hearing whites say on their front porch, look at that nigger. There goes a nigger. You know, but, no, but I mean, it was, it was the way it was, but, right. and still, mm -hmm. And still I rise. You see right. what I'm saying? So exactly. that was kind of the climate. And I was a part of the generation that uh, after a couple of years where uh, desegregation started to come in. So the area where we were going, it was predominantly white and the high school was predominantly white. But eventually, over the years, um, whites began to leave the area and 
uh, other uh, cultures begin to move in more specifically Afro-Americans. So I had, it, but I didn't have a, um, a bad life because back in that time, we were taught to know our place mm. as yeah. a people. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, and, 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 and we knew that and even though those that came before us, our grandparents and our great grandparents had difficulty in the di a lot of the challenges they went through, it was passed on mm. to us to know your place. But from their prayers, there was an evolution to where we are today. And when I look at the challenges we're looking at today, mm. racially and uh, how we have evolved as a people, my only regret is that there is not enough information about where we came from. So while we are climbing to higher heights, we're grateful for those that came before us to help us. So. I was uh, in, in DC schools and um, got married and uh, had a beautiful family and tragedy came, that's the short story, and here I am today. The okay. thing that I thought would kill me actually gave me life. I had no idea of... Um, what what waits for me and that and that's where we are in life today right. the the entire world doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow mm -hmm. where there was a time when we just took for granted oh well i'm going to get up tomorrow and i'm going to go and do but but you don't know from one day to the next and exactly. we're all kind of looking over our shoulders to make sure we're safe to make sure we're protecting ourselves and right. are cognizant of the importance of looking out for our families as well, you know. So I brought you up to date pretty much from just a short uh, right. glimpse of where I came from. But to get to the bias story, I tell it in four parts. So let's, and, let's start. Let's, let's start. I know we know. How many kids do you have? Because we we know we know uh, Lenny, we know Jay. Yes, but... I have I have two remaining children, Eric and, and Michelle. Okay, now are they older than than Lenny and Jay? Where do they fall? In? No, they're younger. Michelle younger. is my only daughter. She is my. She was next to Len. Okay, so okay. Len, so Lenny is the oldest. Is the oldest. Okay. Then it's Michelle. Then it was Jay. Okay. And then it was Eric, my youngest son. It, okay. it, it yeah, my youngest so let's, son. Let's, Eric. Let's, fa let's fast forward a little bit. So here we are. Uh, Lynn, Lynn Bias was born in 1963, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. So so tell me about, you know, you, you're having your first child and what was that like? You know, did, what was the, the aspirations? Because, you know, growing, we're talking about the early 1960s and yeah. this is still the civil rights era. So what was that like having your first child and what was the aspirations, not only for yourself, but, you know, at your, 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 your first uh, kid? Well, having my first child at that time that I had, Len, I was not married. I was okay. not married. I was a teen mother. But what happened was, 
the man that was Len's father I've been married to for over 55 years. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So we're still married. It's okay. not like I was uh, um, a single mom or anything right. like that. Exactly. And as I grew through that with Len, uh, coming on, moving forward, growing, and then having my other children, I moved on to uh, Maryland where we bought our first home and we began to raise our family. So where did you, um, what part of uh, PG County, I know you guys are from PG County, but where did uh, Lenny and where did you guys uh, make a home as far as uh, in PG County? Because I know you guys are from PG County, but I'm just trying to figure out, yeah. I, I hear different, I hear Landover, I hear Hyattsville, I hear yeah. Well, see, Park. the names of the cities change. Len went to school in College Park. Mm -hmm. When we moved out there, it was Landover, Maryland, but then they changed the zip code to Hyattsville, Maryland. Okay. So it's all the same place. You know, Hyattsville is a huge place. But when we moved out there, it was Landover, Maryland. Okay, okay. So so talk about Lenny a little bit. What was, was Lenny? Because here in the Washington, D.C. area, this is why this this interview is so important to me. He is not only, you know, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of this area, but he's he's become a cultural icon. Yes. So so I, so, I don't know how it happened. I really don't. <laughs> so I don't. so so take me back to you know what was Lenny like? I talked to a lot of people who who went to school with him and played mm -hmm. against him, but mm -hmm. I want to know what was Lenny like as a, as a kid. He was my oldest son. And his uh, brother, his siblings adored him. They, we, we have always been a very, very close family. Mm -hmm. And his siblings adored him. And they were average children, just average. You know, he, he, we didn't know that whether he would enjoy sports or, or not. He grew into that uh, playing at the local community center. And playing at the local community center, he would play uh, football, intramural sports. And okay. we have we have pictures of he and Jay one Christmas with their little football uniforms on. And they said, they looked at him and said, look, look at us with those suicide helmets on. <laughs> You know, and I have I have a picture of both of them standing there, you know, and we yeah. laugh about that. But he got interested in um, in uh, playing football. And then uh, we didn't really know whether he was whether he, whether it was any interest in sports. And so the theater school, uh, the elementary school he attended. Uh, they had a feeder school for the middle school and a feeder school for the high school. Okay. So when he was done with elementary school, he attended Greenbelt Middle School. Okay. And he, for, he acquired an interest of uh, basketball because he took a, uh, uh, all of a sudden, you know, he just kind of shot up. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he just, he was here, and then all of a sudden, you look, <laughs> he was looking you right in your face, and right. back at that time, they had intramural uh, basketball between the schools, the you know, the middle schools and all, and he was approached to play uh, basketball, to be on the team, mm. and I can't 
remember who the coach was then. And um, I remember in uh, Woodshop, he bought home one time. They had, um, when he was in the eighth grade, they had begun to call him the human eraser. Because <laughs> he would block, he would block the shots. This is when he was in middle school, and he made a plaque in in um, Woodshop with human eraser on it. And um, I was going through uh, some materials the other day and came across a, um, I guess you call it macrame, yes, uh, uh, where he had used his arm and hand and made um, a like a little uh, a statue of it of him right. holding yeah. the ball, you mm -hmm. know, with his arms and had it all painted and all. Right, right. I came across that yesterday. But um, he transitioned from elementary school to um, middle school. And then because the middle school is the feeder school for the high school, and the coach of the middle school spoke to the coach at uh, the high school saying okay. that they may have an interest in um, this young man, this student athlete that will be attending their school the next year. Now, and it kind of took off from there. Okay. So when we know, um, to my knowledge, um, uh, Lynn, he went to Northwestern High School. So... Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of friends that went to, that went to Northwestern High School. Great, you know, great, great friends mm -hmm. that went to Northwestern High School. So, what was he like as far as like a student? Because I, we, you know, a lot of us know about his basketball prowess. But mm -hmm. when did he develop this ability? When did he become serious about basketball? Because you just mentioned that he eventually started. Event he, he initially played football, and then he took he had a growth yeah. spurt. So when did he? Um, get, when did he start to take basketball seriously? Uh, when he left middle school. Okay. When he left middle school and he was a freshman in high school, they, I think, what is the other team under the regular team? Uh, the JV team. The junior, JV junior team, right. Uh -huh. okay. And they uh, started him on JV. But his skill set was such that by the time he was in the 10th grade, mm -hmm. they put him on the varsity. Wow. And he began to develop um, skills and uh, managing um, playing ball at another level. You know, we were. <laughs> that's we an, were that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, for real. But his. Um, his his father was uh, a type of um, is a type of athlete when he was younger okay. and loved sports. All yeah, I wanted to know that. I, I want that's what I wanted to get get to. I wanted to know like who worked with him because his he had a very rare and unique talent, like a one in a life. Like people yeah. would still talk about his basketball ability and his yeah. basketball IQ to this yeah. day. So where did he develop that? It had to come. Well, I, I can say this. I think it came from both of our bloodlines because uh, my dad, when he was younger, they were uh, the, the Negro um, 
the Negro bass baseball team okay. would come and um, the home Scott state. would come to see, you know, to see them play. And my father was. Whoa. Uh, you mean uh, the you mean the homestead Grays that used to play at um the Griffith Stadium? Yeah. Uh-huh. But my father, my father, they they would be scouted, but they were never picked up. So, but okay. my my point is, my dad had athletic that abilities oh, too, no. oh, and no. then my husband's father is a tall man, was a tall man, a big man, and then my husband had athletic abilities too. So, okay. the bloodline, you know, it it's just um, athletics, you know, in terms of. Uh, his skill set and the discipline that he gets from his father. No it was uh, in, when I say discipline, I mean taking care of his body. His father still takes good care of himself. Right. Yeah. And he would, um, the, the discipline that Len got, I, I'm, I am a firm believer it was passed down in the bloodline from his dad and my father as well, but Moy's dad, because his father is still uh, looks well and takes care of himself. Okay. So I want to switch gears for a second, because again, okay. you have a, you have a, you have a, um, you have a, a second son, Jay Bias. So around this time, it, it, I believe it is a six year difference between the two, if I'm not correct. Six, seven years. Um, let's see. I believe you know Lenny's Lenny's born in '63 and and Jay is seven years. Okay, seven. Okay, seven so seven years. years. So what was the relate? What was the relationship like between Lenny and Jay as they were younger? Because that's a that's a huge age difference. I, I sometimes and I think a lot of us forget the the age difference between the two. So what was their relationship like growing up? Well, uh, Len was the big brother. He was the big brother. And um, I was speaking with a relative recently uh, about when they would take their big wheels out and go out and ride up and down the hills and stuff. And uh, they, they had a great relationship as a brother, but Jay looked up to Len as his older brother. And so you can imagine what it was like when when Len actually uh, started playing ball at college and in high school and how he admired his brother and how devastating it uh, was for him when his uh, brother passed. But I remember um, <laughs> they used to, um, I had an old recorder and they would be down in the basement um, marking Howard Cosell. They were acting like they were sports <laughs> announcers and and uh, one would be acting like Muhammad Ali and the other would be acting like Howard Cosell. And I, I have fond memories of that, but they were very close. Um, I can remember them uh, just being children. You know, one thing that I have learned is that there are no perfect moms, no perfect dads, no perfect families anywhere. The Joneses may look like they have it all together down the street, but when you get down there, they're jacked up too. You know, no, exactly. every there are no perfect families. And so many 
parents and people are trying to find this perfect place that does not exist exactly. outside, uh, you know, outside it exists within us, taking the best, managing the best that we can with what we have. Okay, so here you are, you're a mother of two at this time, I believe, when, when they are in high school or a mother of three. No, 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 when they are in high school, I'm a mother of four. For, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. They, <laughs> I forgot about the. I apologize. So here you are. You're a mother. You're a mother of four children, mm -hmm. and and one of them is is having an outstanding uh, basketball career at the uh, at Northwestern High School. Mm -hmm. So what was your ask? What what were your aspirations as a young black woman, a young black mother, with four children? You know. What was your aspiration for for the kids and, and how you know how far did you really fit, uh think that lenny uh would go as far as basketball well to be perfectly honest with you my husband sat down and explained to me i had the only thing that i knew was uh it was just an activity that len was involved in and that was playing basketball i wasn't um kind of like the aau vibe today right. where you know yeah. you're right on top of it and when the next yeah. that that wasn't it even though there were parents who um understood the possibilities of their child having athletic abilities so when um len was in high school my husband explained to me he said do you know that it's a possibility that um, because of the way he plays, he may be recruited by colleges. And I was like, what, really? <laughs> and he said, yes. He said, do you remember um, um, Albert King? You remember, you see Albert King playing ball for Maryland? I said, yes, yeah. He said, well, that's that's the opportunity that could come for him. And I was like, Wow, I I I had no idea until <laughs> he explained that to me. Now, how many games did you go to see? Uh, oh, I went many? to all of them. Once okay. I understood, <laughs> I didn't miss a game. Our only problem was with Jay entering um, middle school and having an interest in sports. So we were running from game to game, yeah, game to game, that. and. Um, it was a uh, it was a season, you mm. know, and sometimes you have to um, we have to be reflective of some of the the opportunities that we have as parents. And, yeah. you know, don't begrudge it because it's for a season and you'll never go back again. Mm. You'll never go back again. So those times that we had to run back and forth, get off from work, which way do we go? Well, you go to this one, I go to that one, or we'll do the, catch this Tuesday game, catch this Friday right. game. And we did it. We okay. did it. And um, it was a season. And I think um, from, say, high school yeah it was uh, it was seven years of of running like that from <laughs> four years in northwestern and then four years in college it was eight years of doing that Whew. and the season comes to pass you know it 
It doesn't come to stay. And as long as we, so many people want, do not want summer to leave. Summer is changing anyhow. The next season is coming. So when I am reflective of the memories that I have of the times that we endured and did what we had to do, and then even after Len's death and Jay still wanted to pursue basketball, the he was up at Cumberland, uh, Allegheny, Allegheny uh, Community College in Cumberland. Mm-hmm. And that was a long ride. And we would pile up in the car and go up there twice a week to support him from where we lived. So okay. it, it was a season that we truly enjoyed. And as you get through life and you move on, even after tragedy, and you still can pull up those great memories, you know, I I tell parents all of the time, I tell people, this is not the time not to have time. Take advantage of these times. And good stress is always when you're helping to, um, helping your family to move forward. You're helping your kids with your home, their homework. You're running to games. I mean, all of this is good stress because we expect a good outcome. No doubt. So let's, let's move forward. So um, Glenn had a phenomenal career at Northwestern high school. What led him to choosing uh, the university of Maryland? And what was, and what was like that uh, recruiter process like for you and his father and, and, wow. and, 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 you know, <laughs> it, it was it was really overwhelming. It really was. It because he was, won pretty much every award. When I I, I got I'm looking at the I'm looking at his statistics right in my face, and I'm like, yeah, you name it, he won. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was. He I mean, it. it 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 was it was really overwhelming because of the interest throughout the country. The country. I mean, like, letters were coming. Every day, every day, there were stacks of letters of um, inquiry in terms of recruiting him. But I think he wanted to to stay close to home. He thought about Maryland and he thought about North Carolina State. And one of the most interesting. Jim Valvano. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you. So so did you get it to Jim Valvano? Did did, you make a trip to the house? Let me tell you that. Let me tell you. That was was one of the um, most exciting yet exhausting uh, home visits. And he came and, I mean, he worked this show. He worked this show. He He was a salesman selling a uh, North Carolina <laughs> state, but um, all in all, I think Thurl Bailey w- attended North Carolina state. I think he did. And another native uh, Washingtonian. Yes. Uh-huh. I know Thurl just came to my mind, just thinking about um, Jim Valvano, but that was a very interesting, interesting visit. And um I was talking to someone and they said, did he take his coat off? You know, because he, he's <laughs> like, he's getting to work. Yeah. But that, that process was very overwhelming. And finally it boiled down to, from my recollection from uh, between um, 
North Carolina State and the University of Maryland. And then he was thinking about being close to home at that time, okay. being close to home. And he, um, we made the choice, the University of Maryland. So he commits, he, he commits, I believe in 1981. No, no, no. Yes. Yes. 1981. Okay. Yes. That's, yes. That's, that's the year I was mm -hmm. born. <laughs> mm -hmm. Really? Oh, my yeah. goodness. You weren't even, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You were just it's, it's, if I could just put this in, it's just so interesting to me and so godlike that I am still speaking and speak to people who were not even born. That's that's what I mean. Like he is a when, cultural icon. Like and, growing up and, here, his is the legend is is bigger than him. Is it's you I'm know I can you. I can remember being a young kid. Now I don't remember watching Lynn Bias in college, obviously because I was sure I was you were a, a baby. Mm -hmm. I was a baby, but Jay, I I remember when he passed. I was mm -hmm. ten years old when he passed. So what I'm trying to say is. The, even as a young kid, you could not escape hearing about Lynn Bias. You did not even mm -hmm. have to. You did not even have to know about basketball or be a basketball fan to know mm -hmm. about Lynn Bias. But I remember just hearing his name mm -hmm. from the mm -hmm. old. So, so you know, talk about you know, did you did you ever foresee him going to the next level as far as the NBA? Because he had an outstanding college career. Again, All American. You well, know. there again, my husband explained to me about the NBA. Okay. And he had to explain to me about um, high school going to college. And then he says, you know, it's a possibility that Lynn could be drafted in the NBA. So that was another level. Whoa. And we were very, very, very excited about the possibility. You know, but and I, I couldn't believe it because Jay was playing ball and he was doing well. And here is Lynn, as I said before, being a teen mother and seeing this, mm. seeing this come about, you know, I was like, wow, mm. wow, wow. And is it me? Is it real? Can it really happen? And okay. that was the thought that I, I kept in the back of my mind all of the time. Will it really happen? Wow. Really? But wow. we were so excited. We loved the games. We loved hanging around after the games, the home games. And we did some away games. But we have to keep in mind that we had yeah, three, other three other children, children. at home. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so it, it was a joyous time. It was a joyous time. It was. <laughs> and when they um, went down to the the Dean Dome and uh, <laughs> I know what we, I know where you about to get to. I, I wasn't I, a, I didn't watch that game in real time. But over the years, one of the best college basketball games ever. And and do you know? There are people in North Carolina that still say, I still do not like the way Len came. <laughs> We're sorry for your loss. And, you know, we love them and this, that, and the other. But the, it was a shame the way he came down one-handedly. And now brand new. 
in our brand new facility. Brand new Dean Dome. Brand new Dean Dome <laughs> in beat North Carolina. He so. always had great games against mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, and he yes. always had great games against North Carolina and, and the ACC. Yes. He yes. dominated. So, yes. you know, if, if, if you can look back, like, what? how would you, if you could talk to Lenny today, and, you, and have a conversation with him. How how would you think he would have described his college experience? That it was hard. It was not easy. And for him to keep the discipline in moving forward and trying to manage his new norm in college and still excel and still be the gentleman still having common courtesy and his head not getting big. One of the same, one of the things that I get over and over again are people talking about his humility and how gentle and how kind he was. And I'm trying to think just the other day, oh, I know I was on a, during a Zoom meeting, a conference and someone came in the chat room and said they remembered how they were new on campus and how Len had helped them, Mm. had helped them. Somebody didn't have money to get home or lunch or something and how he had helped them. So that, that was pretty much the norm, his personality. And my mother used to teach us when we were, when my siblings and I were being raised that manners don't cost you anything. Cost being you anything. polite does not cost you anything. So for my kids, I required them to be courteous. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And respect people and show right. respect. So it was something that was inbred in our home. Okay. And uh, he was a very respectful uh, young man. All right. All right. So, again, you know, we all know that he ended up becoming All-American at the University of Maryland. Even today, arguably the greatest basketball player that came out of Northwestern High School and the University of Maryland. And he he goes, he gets drafted as the number two overall pick to the Boston mm-hmm. Celtics. So let's let's stop right there. Okay. Because you mentioned you didn't realize, you didn't understand, like uh, you had to be, exp- uh, had to be, ex- had to be explained as far as the high school to the in- to college and college mm-hmm. to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now he has officially been drafted by Red Auerbach and the Boston Celtics. So what was that feeling like? It was, um, For me, now I'm, I'm talking about for me as yeah. his mother, I, um, I was still questioning would it really happen? Uh, now, Even, I, I read about that. I, I read about that. Explain, explain. Talk a little bit about that because I, this is very interesting. I, I, and I hate to interject, but I read that during the time that he was, you know, dominating, he was this great ball player that you still had doubts and you did not truly see him going to reaching his full potential. Well, so talk, talk about that a little bit. I, and I'm paraphrasing, um, you know. Right. I understand. I, I had, um, I had had a dream 
that there would be death in my family. I didn't know who it was. And this dream haunted me. You know, women are born with the intuitive nature, you know. And so when was this, this dream? Uh, this is while um, Len was playing. It was 18 months before he died. Mm. So it was um, in 1985. Mm. 1985. I had had a dream that there was going to be death in my family. And, it, and this dream was so, it was surreal. I mean, it was, it, it would not leave me alone. It would not leave me alone. And I didn't know who it was, but it was like, I could never get over in this, the part where you would be so joyous and so happy because on your shoulder is don't forget the dream, mm. you know? And I am, I have told people uh, many times I've shared that my faith has gotten me to where I am today. And even though I am a woman of faith, it it was something that was just so real about it. I just didn't know who was going to die. And I was hoping it would go away, but it never left. It stayed with me for 18 months. I would be crying and weeping and just knowing something was coming, but I didn't know what it was. So hit, you know, so so June, and I and I I'm gonna take my time with this one because this this I'm pretty sure this is a a story. Um, this is a very tragic uh, story, and 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 I, I know you have talked about it a lot, but me talking to the person who actually went through this, I want to take my time with this and, and show uh, empathy. Um, June 18th, 1986. Can you walk me through that day? What was that day like leading up to Lynn's uh, tragedy? June 18th? Yeah. Um, okay. So we knew that the um, the draft was June the 18th. And I can remember Len had told us to go to a restaurant, a sports bar to watch it. And I had, we had gotten the name mixed up and we, we, we didn't find it. So we ended up back home watching the draft on um, TV and uh, we were so excited, so excited. And we talked to him on the phone afterwards and his dad went with him. He and his dad went together and they said they would be on a plane coming back home that evening. And I had a, a meeting. Mm. Um, and so I wasn't there when he came home, I was at a meeting. And when I came back home, um, the, my children were saying, Ma, you missed, um, we called him, his nickname was Frosty. Ma, you missed Frosty. He's not here. He, he said he'll be back. And I said, okay. So I talked to him on the phone when I got back home and um, I never saw him again. I never laid eyes on him when he returned from the draft. What was that because, conversation like on the phone? What, what was the conversation? Well, you know, we were just, 
saying good things. You know, you how made excited, it, you how, how did excited, it. You know, what was that? How excited was he, you know, getting drafted? Because I know we all knew that he was going to get drafted. I talked to my uncles and everybody around that time. They, Everybody knew that he was going to be, like, Well, the wild thing was after the draft, my husband said that when they came out of the garden, the crowd of people that were cheering and screaming when they saw Lynn, there were people, there are people today and there were people then that told, shared with us that they were not Boston Celtics fans, but they were going to become Celtic fans <laughs> because Len was going there. That think. he would be playing for them. So he was he was so excited, but yet calm. And we said we would see him. He said, "I'll be home tomorrow." I mean, I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow. That was our conversation. I never laid eyes on him. He said, "I'll be to the house tomorrow." Okay, so they say um, June 18th, 1986, um, you know, Lynn tragically passes um, from, they say, cardiorespiratory arrest. Yeah. And a lot, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research through the years, like prior to even interviewing you, um, just being, a, I'm a University of Maryland basketball fan, so mm-hmm. I've known about this story since I was a young kid, and I hear so many different stories, so when the tele when when the news hit the headlines as far as um how he passed away what were your thoughts on that well i'll tell you this the the detective came to my home and he sat on my sofa and he said um i just wanted to tell you that lynn died of a drug related death and i said what i turned to him in shock and then as I said before, I'm a spiritual person. And I say, God, what is happening? And it was like, don't listen to him. What he's telling you are, are facts. Don't listen to him. But it wasn't, don't believe what he said. My faith, according to, to my spiritual walk, I was hearing, you're going to have to look at God to make it. You can't make it on your own with what he's telling you. So the faith that I had grew even more because I had to, I wasn't in denial of of how he said he died. It was that I could not handle it just going in and grabbing it. I had my help from God that has sustained me and given me strength to this day. So you say, so so prior to that, you already had a deep root foundation as far as your spirituality. Oh yes, yes, yes. You can't go. But but when after he passed, you because I, I, it's just amazing to to see you here today and to talk with the, uh, to talk with uh the the the, the confidence of, the, and strength, and it's that's why I'm so. I'm, I'm I'm so thrilled to have you on this platform, and it's so it, it's it's amazing. Yeah, this is amazing. So, tell me, like, how were you able to just be able to manage day to day after after reaching the mountaintop, going so high to having to go so low, just like that? 
as I said before, I told you the little voice that was I was hearing all of the time reminding me about the dream. And if I can be very candid, the pressure that I was feeling and all that I was going through for those 18 months, knowing it was death, when I sat outside in my backyard, I had a minute to myself sitting at the picnic table. It was almost like after Len's death, it was a release. I felt the pressure leave, if that makes sense to you. You know, it happened. This is it. So nothing you can do about it. It's nothing you can do about it. So I, I remember sitting there and just saying, God, what happened to my life? What happened to my life? And I heard so clearly, Lonnie, the best is yet to come. How can the best be yet to come when I'm standing here with dead leaves in my hands? My precious baby is gone. And then it all wrapped up in controversy about uh, how he died. And I, I yeah, talk about I, that a little bit, because it seems to me through my research, it seems to me as if they sensationalized that whole story with the well, university. Of if, so t- give me your thoughts on it. Well, bit. my thoughts are this. The only people that know how Len Bias died are the men that were in the room with him. They know how Len Bias died. Never in over 35 years have I owned or believed that my son took his own life. I never believed that. And that's not in denial because if he had a problem, as I tell, have told people over the years, the only thing uh, we would have done is what everybody else does. And, and I'm making this point and will probably be judged by, but I really don't care. You know, I have grown and learned enough in 35 years to be able to stand by myself. And I understand, as you said, the sensationalizing. I don't think it was sensationalizing of Len's death. This was a a tragedy, a tragedy in the sports world. Anytime I receive letters from then, President Ronald Reagan and his wife, the Bush family, Tip O'Neill, I mean, congressmen, uh, uh, entertainers, you name it, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and and uh, Michael Jordan were the first ones to send flowers to the house. Yeah. I mean, this was something major. Yeah. yeah, It was major. So I am not minimizing that what happened, we're talking about a man that people are still talking about. And I'm giving, saying to you that it it was never proven to me that he took his own life, but out of it came a mission to help others. And that's what I've been doing for 35 years. Okay. There's someone out there now uh, pushing books or whatever, but you can go back and check. There may be two or three people the Bias family have given their word to or given them the go-ahead because I'm not giving the go-ahead on Len Bias took a rope and hung himself. Right. I don't believe it. Now, what other people think, I don't care. You don't care. Exactly. I don't care. Absolutely. So, so look, I want to fast forward. I want to go 
to current to 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 current and and talk a little bit about what you're doing now. But I, I can't uh, I can't move past um, what I remember and what I remember um, was Jay Bias. I remember his death. I was my in, beautiful Jay. Yes. I remember I, I remember Jay Bias passing away. I was in fifth grade. Oh my god! And I remember just reading the Washington Post mm. and. They were saying they were talking about PG County. I mean, he was at PG Plaza Mall, which I used to frequent. Yeah, all. growing up here yeah. in DC, going to PG Plaza Mall was just like going to Disney. Whereas a young poor kid growing up here in DC, mm-hmm. so I remember that story vividly, and I wrote a book report on it um, in 1991 around my birthday. Get out. Yeah, I wrote, a, I wrote. I still have that. I wrote a book report that on that because I believe he died on December the fifth, 1990. December the fourth, nineteen ninety. December the fourth, nineteen ninety, and my book, and I did a book report on his death in nineteen ninety, uh, nineteen ninety one at uh, January. Mm-hmm. So, so talk to me a little bit about Jay. Um, from what I know, and from from people that I've talked to, such as you know uh, guys like Henry Hall who played against him, yeah, I Kurt, know him. Kurt, Henry Hall, Kurt Smith. Mm-hmm. The, these guys say that Jay was the real deal as well. Yeah, so, so, so talk a little bit about what was Jay like, you know? Oh, yeah. He was, um, as I said before, he admired his brother. So, and to have both of these tall men over six feet walking through the house and seeing them growing, it was just, it was just crazy. But Jay played ball and he did well. He did very well. But the death of his brother took the life out of him. He tried and tried and tried to to press on, but it was very, 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 very difficult. Very difficult. And if you see grown men, I, I meet grown men in the street today or I can be on travel and they will sit there with tears in their eyes and just talk about um, Len, you know, the memories that they have. So how do you think his own brother felt? Oh my God, the pain that he was in. And just 42 months after Jay, after Len's death and dealing with um, Jay's death, I, it, it, was, it was incredible. I I know I was so mad with God when Jay died, when Jay died. I I just knew that when I had received the call, come to the hospital, Jay had been shot. I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll get through this. But when I got there and my daughter said, Ma, I said, how is Jay doing in the waiting room where she and my husband was? She said, Jay is gone. I said, what? You got to be crazy. She said, Mon, Jay is gone. I went in that waiting room and I trashed it. I tore it up the, 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 the room where, you know, they put the families to the side. And I can just remember, oh, just crying and weeping and the nurse coming out saying, oh, we have him ready for you to look at. And I could have, oh, I could have, I could have fought her. I'm not looking over another child. No, I'm not. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. It was just unbelievable. 
And that's why I say with the original question uh, at the opening of our uh, uh, interview here, I said that we had our COVID. We had it. We have been through hell and back and then standing on one son's grave burying another. And, and people think all hope is gone. Listen, I'm here to tell you that there is hope. The so best is still that. yet to come. So let's talk about, let's move forward. So again, uh, Jay tragically passes in, in, in uh, you know, uh, December the 4th, uh, 1990, a very dark day. I remember that again, very vividly. Mm. And it was, it was senseless. It was a senseless uh, death. And, yes. uh, you know. Uh, but this very- is what I was so excited about. And this is, um, to anyone who, who, as I said before, I, I'm a woman of faith. I believe in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this was the saving grace. That day, a miracle happened that day that Jay was murdered mm. because there were, Jay's boss was in the car. They all worked for a local bank and one of the other employees, they were on their lunch break. And when the shots were fired in the vehicle through a, uh, out of a semi-automatic weapon, the other two people were not touched. Two bullets struck Jay in his back and killed him. Now, the gentleman who was Jay's boss at that time came to our house that night. Oh, my God. And he said, I wanted to come and tell you that as Jay, we were rushing uh, uh, Jay to the hospital. And he said, he said, you're going to make it, Jay, you're going to make it. And he said, Jay said, no, I'm not going to make it. But tell my mother, my father, my sister, and my brother that I love them. And then he repeated the Lord's prayer in transition. That lifted a weight up off of me because when we look at death today, you know, people say I die, die, whatever, whatever. My faith is that I believe in eternal life, life after death. I believe in that. And I know that I will see both of my sons again. Amen. Amen. So, so let's talk about, you know, you, uh, today you are, um, internationally known. I've, I've watched countless, um, uh, videos of you, uh, uh, speaking engagements. What, you know, when did you decide like, this is the avenue that I want to take as far as, um, you know, what led to you deciding this, is the avenue that I want to take as far as, um, delivering my, this message. I was kicked out of my comfortable position. <laughs> I was sitting doing, doing life minding my business and got kicked out of my comfortable position. And what happened was there is a, at Lens Memorial Service, at Lens Memorial Service, um, at Cole Field House, um, there were uh, TV cameras from all over the country. Every, every network was represented at that event. And I, the mothers of the other players presented me with roses, with flowers. And um, I didn't know then I was giving my first presentation when I received the flowers. And so 
people were amazed at my strength. But remember, I had cried out for 18 months. So when Len died, people saw a strength in me that why isn't she falling to pieces? Because I actually received letters from people that told me I was a fake. That I was no a way. My, oh, come on. That's nothing. Wow. That little thing, you all don't know what the bias family has been through. Mm. And and people told me that I was a fake because I had cried for 18 months. I am uh, uh have my faith that I believe in that God is with me, and He gave me strength to stand at that time. So it was so unbelievable. There is this, uh, the Christian Broadcasting Network, um, 700 Club, mm -hmm. Pat, Robinson Pat Robinson invited me on to give, um, uh, to talk to me about my strength. How was I standing through all of this? And the only thing I knew was God, 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 God. And from that, here I am today. No I never did anything else that evolved from me speaking, I knew um, Nancy Reagan had her Just Say No program. And um, she had her Just Say No program to drugs. And then I began to get invitations to speak about drugs because my son had a drug-related death. And then after I would finish speaking to the students, the principal or the administrators would come to me and ask me after I finished speaking if I would talk to the students. And the students had questions that dealt that had nothing to do with drugs. So that showed me that I had to broaden mm. my presentation to deal with the issues mm. that they were confronted with in life. Now, here we are in 2021. And, you know, during the time of Lenny's death, during the time of um, Jay's death, we had a crack epidemic. Now, today we have the what's called the um, uh, I believe like the opioid uh, epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think the uh, do you think today's drug culture is worse than it was back in, you know, 30 years ago? Um. From your experience, you know. there is a progression of everything in the earth. There is a progression. Nothing stays where it was. So we definitely have a progression. But our problem, I think, here in the United States of America, in so many cases, not only drugs, but we do not take prevention seriously. Talk about that. Like, theoretically, what, what would you advise or what can you see? Uh, what would best method you would think as far as uh, prevention, you know? Well, it starts with strong support systems. Mm -hmm. And when I say strong support systems, it, it, you have to have people that are on one accord to accomplish this task mm -hmm. and not um, one of the problems that we had years ago when I was speaking, there was money out there for, you know, to bring speakers in and that sort of thing, but they would only do it once a year. You know what I mean? So once a year or maybe twice a year, this is our thing for drugs. And we did our drug program. We're good. But today 
in order for uh, prevention to be advantageous, we have to work like crazy trying to save this nation's greatest natural resource, our children. Our children are reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable. What worked in 1959, uh, 1999, 2019 won't work in 2021. So we have to change our approach in adapting to their needs. So when we're talking about um, opioids and the drug culture that children are involved in today, we need prevention and not uh, um, what do we call this? What's this word I want to use? Um, glorifying drug use. You know what I mean? It's, it's like saying nobody should drink alcohol. Well, alcohol is not the problem. You know what I mean? There are plenty of people that have cocktails and enjoy themselves and they're not driving drunk and this, that, and the other. So, so many laws have been changed, but we have to be cognizant of of being responsible as we indulge in substances exactly. and and telling young people you can um uh uh have um uh getting high glorifying getting high in these types of things we need programs and people in place telling children that there is a time and a place for everything and right now you have to indulge in being your best you, teaching young people how to value, to love and appreciate themselves. And then when we have parents that of the children, the parents have to be supported in showing a new, a, a, a new a way, a more excellent way in working with the children today, because what worked um, years ago won't work today and good advice with poor example is very confusing. Exactly. So we have to step our game up for little babies that are two, three years old, four years old. We have to prepare a better world for them, downloading them with information about taking good care of themselves and about respecting those in their realm of influence and letting them know we do not live in a perfect world. Everybody is not going to like you. Everybody is not going to love you. But you've got to get up every day valuing yourself and your life. And the best is yet to come. Okay. Take good care of yourself. Okay. Now, as we wrap, uh, very eloquently put, uh, thank you, Ms. Bias, Dr. Bias. Um, as we wrap this interview up, I will. Um, what do you what drives you as far as continuing to go out here and to to preach this gospel as far as this drug prevention and things of that nature? You know, does do you feel that I'll let you answer that? But what what put what what drives you? What you know, because you have a lot of zeal. You have so much zeal. Yeah. Someone yeah. I who, love who my have, work. Has I'm so much tragedy. Passionate. I love my work and I'm very passionate. And I shared with someone last week, I want the best for everybody. I want the best for you, uh, for you, for your family, for your listeners. I want the best. Uh, life is a bowl with lemon and honey in it. Sometimes it's sweet and sometimes it's bitter, but I believe. 
I believe in the human spirit. I believe in men and women. And when we can have uh, 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 information given to us to comfort and inspire and in, to enlighten us, not grabbing a hold of all of the darkness and owning it, but knowing there are so many levels below where we are and there's so many levels above where we are. And that's where I am. I still believe in mankind. I still believe the best is yet to come. I believe, as I said before, there are no perfect families, no perfect moms, dads, churches, businesses, you name it. None of us are perfect. All of us are becoming and are work in progress. So I can't throw in the towel. When I look at my life and, and, and God has me clothed in my right mind, there's hope for everyone. I know that's right. Well, here, here we have it. Dr. Lanise Bias, thank you so much for your time here at all uh, with uh, Bridging the Generation podcast. It's been a pleasure. I mean, words cannot explain how much this means to, to not just to me, but for the culture uh, it, as a whole. I mean, I love my young people. I love the millennials. I believe in all of you. I love you. I love the great work that you're doing. Thank but you so we've much. got to get balance. And I appreciate your program. And once again, thank you for the opportunity and shalom. Peace and blessings be upon you and your family and the listeners. No doubt. The best is yet to come. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Thank Bias. you. You have a good Bye-bye. night. Take good care. night. Now, how do you sign off from here?